Welcome everyone to As For Me and My House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is our recap of Chapter 8, Hear the Message. Well, we've come to a very important part of our story today, and it just happens to be the time that we live in, right smack dab between the first and second comings of Christ. But before we talk about our place in this story, we're going to be looking at the first couple chapters of Acts to see all about the world-changing plan that God has for his church. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever wondered why God doesn't just take us straight up to heaven when we believe, when we become a believer, a follower of Jesus, uh, well, today's session will answer that question for us. God has a purpose, an amazing, eternally fruitful purpose for his church, and we're going to be looking at that in Acts chapters 1 and 2 today. So let's start by looking at the future promise given by Jesus in Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the first four books of the, of the New Testament, uh, called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they present the history of Jesus and what he did and taught. But now here in the book of Acts, this is what Jesus continues to do through his people, the church. So let's continue in verse 3. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So this is the resurrection, and it's paramount. It is the message of the book of Acts. Jesus is alive, and he is presenting himself with many proofs. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so here we come to the promise. The Father has promised something very important for the church, but the disciples are called to wait for it. Now, waiting is not something that we do well. Let's be honest. Waiting is not something we like. Isn't it true that when we are in a season of waiting, it can even feel like we're wasting our lives? Mm -hmm. But often, the Lord wants us to learn to wait, to mm -hmm. wait for Him, to wait on Him, uh, to wait for what? To wait for His power, to wait for His direction. And for the disciples here, uh, he tells them to wait for the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is saying, don't get distracted with these questions. This is not where our focus should be. It can actually distract us from the mission before us. The disciples are called to wait and not be fixated on times and seasons of the end times. Jesus gives us the glorious promise again, and with it, the world-changing purpose of the promise. Yeah, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, we perhaps like the first half of this verse. We will receive power, uh, supernatural power. It will come upon us. We will have a strength, a capacity, and a potential that was never there before. God himself will reside in us by his Holy Spirit. We will receive dunamis. That's the word. It means dynamite. And what, uh, and what this is, uh, or what is this purpose? What is the purpose of this power? Well, what, what it is, is that the, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, and it is shared, this purpose, it's shared in the second half of verse 8. And it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
Now, again, in the first half of the verse, that perhaps brought great encouragement. But this second half of the verse, it can cause us to step back, maybe in alarm and be astonished. I mean, we are given a mission that extends to the ends of the earth. That sounds big, maybe too big, maybe too daunting, too crazy. How could we possibly fulfill such an outrageous task? And that is where we must put these two halves of this verse together. Mm. We have received power for this purpose. Right. We've not received the Holy Spirit simply to be nicer people. We were given the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. He has a mission for us. Will we join in what he is doing? Will we be found being about our father's business or getting caught up in the thorns and uh, of comfort and consumerism in our world. What will we live for? Acts 1.9 continues. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here Christ has given his final words in his earthly ministry, his last words, and we are to heed these words, mm-hmm. uh, these words it says, and when he said these things, when, so when he had called us, his disciples, to our eternal purpose of telling the world about him, it's after that that he was then lifted up into heaven. And this lifting into heaven, this is the ascension of Christ. You know, according to the Apostles' Creed, that historic confession of Christian belief, It says that he, Jesus, ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And, uh, you know, at Jesus' ascension, he is installed as the true king of the world. Hmm. And um, in this passage, even here in Acts uh, 1, 9 through 11, the angels affirm this, that he will not stay there. He will come back. Hmm. But you see, he must ascend before this empowering gift was to be given to the church. So Jesus ascends into heaven, and then 40 days later, the promise is fulfilled. So let's read about that now in Acts 2. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow, this event is not only among the most important in the book of Acts, but among the most important in the history of redemption. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for ministry was now resting on Mm -hmm. his people uh, to empower them for the ministry before them. And now let's look at that description. Uh, It says that a mighty rushing wind filled the house and that there were tongues of fire. This is the very presence of God coming down. Mm. In the same way that the presence of God came to fill the tabernacle and to fill the temple in the Old Testament, the very presence of God was now coming to rest on his people. Yeah, right. We become his temple. We become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. The church in this event is empowered for mission. The promise is fulfilled. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and are now given power for maturity, power for ministry, and power for mission. Yeah, this is just so important for us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, to realize that we in the church, that we were never meant to do ministry in our own strength. Um, we were always meant to have God's supernatural power and his presence uh, to do God's work. 
I mean, even Jesus, when we look back at the Gospels, he did not uh, even begin his ministry until he was filled with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit right after his baptism. Right. We simply cannot do God's work without God's presence and empowering. There can be no true understanding without the Spirit, no true unity, no true Christ-likeness, no effective witness. One pastor said, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. Right, and isn't it also very interesting that in this moment, in this passage in Acts, that God uh, gave them the ability to speak in different languages? Mm. I mean, I mean that's just amazing, um, and and that's because this is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Mm. We're back um, in in the early chapters of Genesis; all of the languages were confused, and now the apostles here they were able to speak in languages that they had never known. Uh, and for the purpose of, of sharing the gospel with people groups all over the world. Acts 2.5 says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So just know, these are known languages mm-hmm. that are now being known to the disciples and they're able to, to, to speak mm-hmm. them. In verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Hmm. This one event is so important for the church. We would not have the rest of our Bibles without it. Before this event, the disciples were afraid, often unwise. After this event, they were emboldened and equipped for the mission before them. Just look at Peter. Think of who he was before the sending of the Spirit, and then look at him after. We remember his denials, his fear, his folly at certain times. But now something has taken place and Peter is not the same Peter. He is emboldened to speak. He lifts his voice up to speak to a huge crowd. He explains how the pouring out of the Spirit is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He speaks about the life and death of Jesus, but his emphasis was on the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and how these events also fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Here are the last words of his sermon given on Pentecost. Pentecost, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm -hmm. So he is truly Lord and Christ. This is Jesus, that he is savior of the world. He is the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for. Well, now how do the people respond? And here we see that surely the Holy Spirit was present among them because verse 37 says this, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Mm. Now, has this ever happened to you? Uh, Maybe during a sermon or in Bible reading? Mm -hmm. That that, that you were just, yeah, you were just cut to the heart by the word of God. Uh, The word of God truly is living and active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it can just cut to the heart, just slice into the soul. Mm. And the spirit of God is able to convict our hearts Mm. regarding truth. Well, this scripture continues in verse 37. And the people said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So this promise is not just for the apostles. It was not just for the 12. It is for us too. 
We can know the empowering and life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. It is God's gift to every believer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Peter tells the people to repent and be baptized. Mm. Repent and proclaim the truth through baptism that you believe in Christ's death and resurrection for you. Uh, The response is to turn to him and he will come and dwell in you uh, and with you and empower you also for his mission. And what we see here is that baptism or being immersed in water, it really is the first step that a believer in Christ takes after coming to put their faith in Jesus. It is the way that we profess our faith. It demonstrates our union with Christ. And it's a visible picture of what Jesus has done for us, washing us clean of all of our sin. So Acts 2.40 then continues. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Yeah, 3,000 3, people were saved. Mm. I mean, this is just amazing. And, and, and the Spirit empowered the minister. That's what we mm-hmm. have to see here. Mm-hmm. The Spirit also prepared the people. Mm. Um, the Spirit enabled belief. You know, we are desperate mm. for the Spirit of God as a church. Mm. That's what these verses are telling us. Mm-hmm. And we see one more great work of the Spirit as we continue to read on in Acts chapter, chapter 2. And this is that the Spirit brought, um, the spirit brought a unity, mm. uh, a unity that frankly would be impossible without him. Mm. In verse, verses 42 to 47, uh, here now we witness the prayerful fellowship. Verse 42, and they, um, these new believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and for the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So here now the Spirit of God not only led the believers to be devoted to the mission, but here we see that the Spirit also enabled um, all of these Christians uh, to be devoted to each other. Uh, They gathered together. uh, They were dedicated to the teaching of God's word to eating together, and to praying together. This was all a priority. Now, Lauren, why do you think this was? Well, as a new Christian, I can attest to how important it was to be around believers. I came to Christ in a very pagan party environment at a secular university. It would have been impossible for me to not be influenced or swayed by the world without a group of believers around me. So I did not just go to church on Sunday. I had three other Christian friends that I was around constantly. And this was necessary. You know, who we are around shapes us. And we were meant to be around our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them daily, praying and doing life together. Now, this becomes more challenging with the pandemic, but we must still ask, how can we be in each other's lives? Can we be texting, calling, praying for others in the church? We really should be reaching out and making it a priority to connect with other believers, even if we cannot do it in the way we might like to. Let's continue. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This unity of mind here is amazing. These believers were of one mind. And how was this possible? They had set their minds on things that were above. Their eyes were on the Lord. Their lives were about His mission. And I think that the place we go wrong so often is focusing on our wants and our desires and our vision. And we fail to keep our eyes on the Lord and what he has called us to. 
It's easy to get caught up in thinking that we know the best way to do things. And these self-led desires will never bring us closer together. They will only separate. Whereas the spirit-led focus with eyes on Christ will unite us. With humble hearts, we need to ask for the Lord's perspective together. So this unified focus on the Lord and on his mission, what did it lead to? Well, we get the answer to that in verse 45. It says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hmm. So what it led to was we see here that they were generous with their money and their time and their hospitality. You know, regenerate people will become generous people. Hmm. And the world will take note of this. You know, the church was aware of the needs within the body, and they were taking care of them. They were taking care of each other. Uh, The Christians sacrificially cared for one another, and the world knew by this that they were Christians by their love. These Christians were living by the Spirit of God, and it resulted in generosity, hospitality, joy, worship. You know, if we want to know what a person or a church full of the Spirit of God looks like, we need to look no further. These Christians must have also been evangelizing daily because the Lord added daily to their numbers. The Lord opened more and more eyes up to the beauty of Christ and the gospel every single day. Wow. I mean, yeah, this is amazing. And what an encouragement uh, to see here that Jesus's promise of the Holy Spirit uh, went uh, from a future promise to a present fulfillment and then into this prayerful fellowship here Mm -hmm. in the book of Acts. And it leads all the way up to our day. This is where we are right now. And it's amazing how God wants to use us, his church, his people, uh, to use us and to bless us. And I think we can just be encouraged that God has given us power and purpose, or purpose and power. Yes, we have a place in the greatest mission of all time, a mission that will change the world and impact lives for eternity. We have supernatural power and purpose. But here's a question. Uh, why do we not always live like this? And what would we say to a believer who says, you know, I believe all of this, but I don't experience all of this? That's a really good question. I think that's, that's reality um, for so many of us. And to answer that, I think for one, we need to recognize this, that, you know, maybe it's just because we get distracted. Um, it, our eyes, they get on other things, don't they? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or it could be that we've fallen into a sinful habit that we need to repent of, right? That's right. Um, or it could be that we don't experience this because we perhaps doubt God's promise here. That we would maybe doubt that, you know, wow, God wants to use me like this. Sometimes we look at our weaknesses, our inabilities. We can have maybe a bit of a Moses syndrome where we say, uh, God, send somebody else. Uh, I don't have what it takes. And, and the truth is, like, we don't have what it takes, uh, do we? And, and that is why what we've seen here in our study is that, you know, it is that God has promised his presence. God has promised his spirit and power to be with us. And so um, we, we might be neglecting that, that God can use us. We might be neglecting asking God to create opportunities and to equip us for them. Hmm. But to think that God has given his power and his purpose to the church, to each true believer in Christ. We have an amazing part to play in God's grand story. 
That's right. And we have been seeing all along in our study, haven't we, that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. And so his presence and power is available to us. It is meant uh, for us. It has been sent to us Hmm. so that we can be a part of his kingdom mission. Now, that is a promise, and it needs to be our focus. And that is why we are still here. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Join us again in two weeks as we finish our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. We will be diving into our final chapter, chapter 9, in a perfect world. May the Lord bless you in Christ. See you next time.